Do you sometimes wonder how you could truly have an impact when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging? How do you know you are moving in the right direction when it comes to becoming a more inclusive individual? As diverse as two peas in a pod, brings topics such as ethnicity, genders, sexuality or religion on the table. We talk about research and science, but also emotions, feelings and vulnerability. We discuss allyship, advocacy and privilege. But most importantly, we took action. Because without action, we stay still. And when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, stillness is never the answer. Welcome to As Diverse as Two Peas in a Pod. In today's episode, I am delighted to be speaking to Valerie Gilbert. Valerie's goal is simple, to help women and people of color unlock their own potential as they navigate career advancement, industry trends, and corporate structures. She's uniquely positioned to aid those in technology and science, having spent over 30 years in big tech and industry at Fortune 100 organizations, all while developing solid diversity recruiting programs. She has a bachelor's degree in engineering from Carnegie Mellon University and a master's degree in engineering from the University of Pittsburgh. She attended the leadership coaching for organizational performance from Rutgers University and designing effective organizations through Northwestern University. She is a certified coach through the International Coach Federation. Through her passion for servant leadership, authenticity, and deliberate inclusion, she helps her clients grow and achieve sustainable outcomes in an environment of trust, confidentiality, truth, and space. In a very heartwarming episode, Valerie shares with us today her journey and her challenges of being the only, and how to thrive in an environment where you might be underrepresented around the table. Welcome to As Diverse as Two Peas in a Pod. Um, today I have a wonderful guest, wonderful wo- woman, Valerie. Um, and welcome. Thank welcome you. to the podcast. Thank you. Um, so I, I always start um, the podcast to, to get to know a little bit more about the guests coming. So the first question I'd like to ask you is, what's your story? Oh, that's a fun answer. So um, I'm an engineer by trade. Didn't know that I wanted to be an engineer. I'm not quite sure I ever wanted to say I wanted to be an engineer. But I was sort of lucky. I went to a high school that was mostly Black, mostly African-American. But we were in a small town that had um, a lot of our teachers were all PhDs. So, I mean, that's kind of rare for a small high school. Consequently, I, I didn't know it, but I was having really, really good education. Um, I had an opportunity to skip my senior year of high school and start at Carnegie Mellon as um, an 11th grader. And I was 15 at the time. And, you know, when you start school that young, people, you know, one question whether or not you know what you're doing. Um, I had my first year of college. Someone told me to go home and graduate. I ended up graduating alongside of that same guy who said that to me. 
But, you know, when I got out of college, um, there was a lot of expectations, at least I think from other people and from me, the idea of being so young. Um, when I graduated, I was the only black female that had graduated in that field of engineering mm -hmm. at the time. Um, I didn't mind it so much. And I had been, you know, one of the only women a lot of times in class because I was in advanced placement. So there'd been a lot of men in high school. There were a lot of people of color. So that was comfortable. But when I went to school, um, most of my classmates were white men. So when I got out of school, the struggle was really to find a place that you fit. Hmm. I love to tell the story that my first job was as a um, materials engineer working in a plant. I was actually working in the research center, but all of us had to take this rotation. One of my rotation was to work in the plant. Mm -hmm. And when you worked in the plant, you were the chief metallurgist for that shift. Uh, two men came up to me, you know, I'm wearing my hard hat, my steel tip shoes, my uniform, and it says my name and it says my title. It's just for a month, but that's what I was. And they literally looked at me and asked me, was I there to clean the bathrooms? And it was kind of interesting for me because I don't usually, at that time, I don't think I stood up for myself as much as I should have, but that moment I did. And I basically told him that I was his boss for this week and we would decide, you know, what his go forward plan is, you know, together, but it might not be a good idea to tell me that I was there to clean bathrooms. Um, it, it didn't turn out like he was nicer to me, but he at least, you know, cut with the, the sarcasm and, and the nasty comments and we moved on. But I spent a lot of my career from then on, I made a transition into software engineering later in my career and spent a lot of time in companies where I was the only black female researcher. I was the only black female um, science, you know, software engineer at a, at a particular role. You know, it got better over the years, but I think um, two years ago, I found myself, you know, after a 30 year career and that 30 year career, I've been VP, managing director, I've had some pretty, you know, prestigious roles. The bad thing was I ended up in a role where I'm sitting in a meeting and I'm the only person of color and the only woman. So everyone in the room is a white male. Mm -hmm. And I looked at my boss and I said, you know, there's a problem here. This is 2021. I was somewhat understanding when it was in the 1980s and the 1990s, but this is 2021. Yeah. You can't tell me you can't find another one who looks like me. You know, I can't be the only, I know it. And it was at that point that I made a decision that, you know, as I said, I wanted to be the person to support people like me 20 years ago, mm -hmm. 30 years ago, what would it have been like if I had had someone with my experience take me under their wing and say, this is how you navigate this. And that's what I'm doing with the rest of my career. If, if I can't help other women, other people of color, then I don't feel like I've been successful. That's, that, that's a beautiful dream to have. And I think very important one. And definitely, I, I imagine on, on your side, you can tell us a bit more, but probably very rewarding as well when, when you see people thriving. Um, 
So you, you, you mentioned it a, a few times, you used the word a few times being the only, um, and I know you and I have talked a little bit about it before as you referring to yourself as being often the only, the only woman, the only black person, quite often as well, the only black woman um, in the room, as you just said. Um, so now when you work with, with people who are maybe in similar situation as you were 20, 30 years ago, how do you support them in thriving in, in that corporate structure when they are the only at the table? Yeah, it, it's not easy. I'm not going to make it sound like it's easy. But the most important thing to be truthful is to not stay the only. And it doesn't mean that you have to find someone who looks exactly like you, another black woman or another black man, or you know, maybe Japanese American. You just have to have a community. And if you don't do that, you're not gonna make it. The bottom line is no one can do it alone. I've tried it, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. my, my wholehearted emphasis is get a community, get advocates who know who you are and what you can do, get mentors, who will help you do what it is you want to do. I'd love to say, because I am a coach, get a coach, but do what it takes to build that community so that you're not the only. And then tell you know, the group that you're in. You know, I always tell people, I don't have to be the only anymore. You can't convince me that I'm the only one. Find another. Keep pushing them to find another. There's gotta be one more out there. Mm -hmm. And then there's gonna be another and another. And they don't all have to be exactly like you, but they have to be part of your community that makes you know, I built my confidence. I built my trust. Mm -hmm. I built my connection. And once those things start to build, you absolutely thrive. And people are drawn to you when you thrive. You know, you'll find that even people who you didn't think you had a connection with will be drawn to you because you're the person who has the innovation, who has the inspiration, mm. who has the ideas, and your community builds from there on. Very nice, very nice. And very interesting, actually, because when, as, as you were talking, um, I, I was thinking how some of these um, advices and ideas actually apply to so many people who are in similar situation. And, and thinking a little bit outside of the box and how you can actually indeed find um, those people that you would belong with somehow and are part of your community. Um, you, when, when, when I listen to your story or when I listened to your story at the beginning, um, I, I could feel, and maybe again, it's uh, uh, being a coach myself, I, I may be more acute to it, but I could, I could hear a, a very emotional weight at some points um, inside your story. So how do you, um, how do you deal with, with that emotional weight and of, of being that only person in the room? Yeah. Um, again, it's part of the community and it's part of being authentic. I tell people the most important thing is start off being authentic because mm -hmm. the moment you start faking it, you have to keep it up. So it, the weight is even heavier when you're the only and then you're faking and you can't remember who you're trying to be or who, you know, how you want to sound or how you want to look or, you know, how you, how you want to inspire people. If you're your natural self, you take the weight of that fakeness off. So that's mm -hmm. a, an important start. 
And the community is what helps you bear the weight. Right now, if we see a society that really hasn't made a whole lot of headway in terms of both representation and inclusion, and I separate the two, the reason they haven't made that much of a, an impact is because we keep trying the same old ideas. You know, mm -hmm. every time uh, we set out to say, well, we're gonna improve our numbers, we do the same old things. And then, you know, 10, 15 years later, we have an incident or an event and we're back to starting all over. It's time now for those people who are the only to bring their idea into mm -hmm. the mix and try to get someone to try something new, something different. When you're in the game, the weight is lifted. Like I'm planning on the change. And if you're planning and involved on the change, the weight and the burden doesn't feel as heavy because mm -hmm. you're doing things to move yourself. You're th doing things to move the community. So I I tell people, you, you can't be engaged sitting as an observer in the bleachers. Get in the game. And that takes a lot of that weight off of, you know, when you sit back and you sit still, the weight just sits on you. Move, get active, use your voice, build that community, get them to help amplify your voice, but just keep moving. It, and, it, and it's very interesting, you, I, I, I love, you bringing that on the table, this thing authentic. I was um, actually reading an article a few days ago about um, that kind of a trap that people coming from communities where they are not in the majority in the room, so quite often white male, um, kind of fall in that trap of mirroring yeah. the people that are in the room. And um, and you mentioned a little bit about the the authenticity here. Do you have any other um, ideas or, or tips on how people can um, maybe not fall into that trap? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, my theory is getting in the game keeps you from falling in the trap. I've mm -hmm. seen people go through that who, you know, back in the day, we were always told all the black people shouldn't go to lunch together <laughs> because it looks like, you know, we're not part of the community. I've had leaders who, um, they take up golf only because the, the majority takes up golf mm -hmm. or they take up skiing because the majority takes up skiing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with golfing or skiing. Um, I've got family members who do both. But the thought was it wasn't about what they wanted to do. It was about fitting in. Mm -hmm. And again, when you do mirror, you rob the company of the authentic you that's there to contribute and bring new ideas. If I mirror, I, there's nothing authentic. There's nothing unique. That value of the different minds and different approaches is completely gone. So there's a warning about mirroring. You're actually robbing the company or your organization of who you really are. And if you believe that who you are has some value, then it's unfair for them for you to rob them of that. That's, that's a data point. But the way to keep away from that is to, again, stay authentic. That same person who starts to like imitate has to look at that person to figure out who they are, right? They have to look at the way they talk, look at the way their activities are, look at their summer programs or whatever they're involved in and say, that's what I have to do over my summer or my vacations. That's what I have to do when I'm at a meeting. That's how I have to do when I present. No, you don't. The company hired you because you're a unique individual. I will say to you in the 1990s, 
maybe even early 2000s. I saw a lot of that. I have to admit I'm seeing less of it, of mirroring, mm -hmm. because younger people, you know, the new millennials and younger people that I hire don't want to be around a person who plays that mirroring game and that lack of authenticity. They don't like to be around people who are unreal. They don't take people, they don't take the advice of people who are unreal, right? They, won't, they don't want your guidance. They don't really want your support or your tutoring or mentoring. They want someone real to teach them how to survive in this world and still maintain mm -hmm. them. So it's, it's less acceptable than it was before, I think. And I think, you know, the community kind of says, come back to earth and be one of us. Yep. Completely. And I think it's, it's, it's interesting this concept of mirroring because on, on one hand, we're, we're fighting about being more diverse, but more inclusive. But actually, when we're in the mirroring stage, what happens is we, we are somehow belonging or we're trying to belong to a group, but actually, eventually, we're, we are not belonging into that, that bigger group either. We're, we're in between. It's a little bit like, um, I, I see it being, uh, being an expat, it's, it's a little bit like going back to your home country where you don't belong there anymore and you don't belong fully where you live either because, because you're in between two cultures. And I think that, that's something that ultimately, and you mentioned it, you said about the confidence in your abilities and, and in yourself. I think sometimes you're like, okay, do, do I really belong in any of them or anywhere? Well, the sense of belonging, you know, you, you, can you feel like you belong if it's not you? Mm. So if you've spent too much time trying to be something else, someone else with different behaviors, different thoughts, when they include you, is it you that they're including? And I don't know how that will feel. I'm sure it's not going to feel authentic to you, but nor is it long lasting. Mm -hmm. And I think eventually there's gonna be a lack of achievement because the real you uh, can't, can't do the things that you do without being yourself, right? You, when you're trying to bring your ideas, the background and the approaches you've taken, they're unique to you. And unless you bring those, you're not going to be authentic and you're not going to be mm -hmm. able to contribute. So eventually, I, I just don't see you achieving a sense of belonging if it's not really the real you. True. You know, true. connection is built out of the vulnerability to be you. Mm -hmm. it's, an, it's an important part indeed, that vulnerability. I, I want to go back a little bit to one, to one of the things you mentioned about um, being confident in yourself. Um, I, I think there is there is something that is very strong behind that. When you when you don't have that confidence, there is something that you and I probably know very well, uh, being coaches, which is the imposter syndrome, and we hear more and more about it recently as well. Um, so how do you how do you kind of um, what, what's 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 your opinion on that being the being the only and the link to the, the imposter syndrome? Yeah. Well, being the only, I think, actually magnifies the imposter syndrome, right? Because you, you lack confidence. And most of the time, when you're the only, you feel vulnerable because of other people's stereotypes, 
um, misinterpretations of your culture or your group. Mm-hmm. And so all of the things you feel that you can't achieve or you feel uh, you have a lack of confidence in are magnified when you only. So I can even think back to times when I was young, you know, there was the perception that I certainly couldn't have gone to Carnegie Mellon University. How could you have gotten into that? How could you have, you know, gotten a master's degree? You in engineering? And because they just made assumptions about me, there were uh, the way people talked to me. They talked mm-hmm. down to you. They assumed that you were there to take the minutes instead of being one of the contributors from a technical standpoint. Mm-hmm. So all of those misconceptions and those stereotypes you take on yourself which just magnifies the imposter who's feeling I don't belong here Mm -hmm. I must not belong here they're even saying I don't belong here and it's 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 a weight that's hard to get over it wasn't until I got a little older that I started to realize that the people I admired who appeared to have confidence they didn't gain it overnight they gained it by repeated practice. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you take anyone who does something over and over and over again, they get better at it. Mm-hmm. And the more they get better at it, the more, the harder it is for someone else to tell them they can't do it. And what I always do is I have one theory about imposter syndrome. I tell anybody who feels that way is to lean into learning. If I, when I'm feeling inadequate, I tell myself more than being inadequate, I'm a learner and no one can take that from me. And I'm constantly learning whatever the subject is. And so I say, I may not know this now, but I know how to find it out and I know where to find it out and I'm gonna find it out. I'm going to learn that. And that's where your confidence builds. If you just identify yourself as a person constantly learning, it's okay not to know something at that moment. Lots of people don't know something at that moment. And when you get over that gotcha thing that the the stereotype people are trying to catch you, I've watched, she doesn't know this. The moment you lean into learning and say, well, I don't know, tell me about that. You've given yourself an opportunity to learn more. Curiosity cured it, right? Curiosity said, I don't know it now, but I'm going to lean in and learn more. Tell me more about what I don't know. Be bold enough to figure out that you can learn and there's nothing magic of it. It's Mm. just that leaning into it. That that's the beautiful bridge here as well with the with the diversity and inclusion, because that's that's the heart of in my opinion, at least, becoming a more inclusive individual. It's, <clears throat> you need that curiosity. You need that leaning into the learning because the same way you don't know everything about where I come from and my experiences and I don't with you as well. And the only way I can understand better why certain people behave in certain ways is through that learning and being open and being curious about um, about the other so that's a that's a great way to 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 bring it back and one of one of the things we discussed a little bit in the past as well you and I was kind of the run the, the the link between emotional intelligence and and 
how do you use that or strength how can you strengthen that in the face of kind of racism or sexism or any isms that we have um, out there I, I tell you um, and I hate to keep leaning on coaching but that's where we learn to build our skills someone else challenges us someone else points us into a different direction, gives us a new perspective. I, I, I have to tell the story of the best boss I ever had, happened to be a white man. And um, I had the opportunity to have, I had a team of 11 and seven people who worked for me, seven of that 11 had their PhDs. I thought, that, I, thought I had the most brilliant crew in the world. And they were, they're a phenomenal group of people. And my boss one time said to me, just took me to lunch and just leaned in and said, how you show up reflects on them. Your level of emotional intelligence, balancing your emotions, holding to your curiosity, just how you show up reflects on them. Mm -hmm. And my empathy and love for them caught me and said, oh my gosh, if people don't think I've got it going on, what are they going to think about them? And I, the idea of being a bad representation for this group of people who I thought were stellar, I counted myself lucky to work with them. It made me sit back and say, well, what I do matters. Hmm. How I deal with other people does matter. I started realizing about that ability to not react at that moment. Even when someone says something to me that is unfortunately one of the isms, racism, sexism, mm -hmm. you know, homophobia, whatever they're gonna say, how am I gonna react to it is at all times under my control. And I have to really understand that it, life takes that balance because when you do respond, you wanna respond effectively. You wanna even respond with empathy. Yeah. even for the person who said it. So that whole balance of controlling the emotion, the curiosity, the empathy, all of that built in together, the gauging of who you are, made so much of a difference to me in terms of how I even reacted to my own, my own insecurities, mm -hmm. my own feeling of not belonging, my own feeling of imposter. I realized that that self-compassion that I started to understand I needed to have was the way that I could lean in and say, I'm not going to get caught up in what I do or don't have. I'm going to lean in, be curious. If there's something I'm missing, I'll learn it. Mm -hmm. I'll acquire it. I'll grow it. I'll do whatever it takes to make me be who I want to be. But I'm not going to respond to this with, you know, an equal aggression or an equal ism. Yeah. So if there's nothing else I give to my clients is the need to build emotional intelligence, especially mm -hmm. when you're the only, because those who have those microaggressions toward you are looking for that, the wrong reaction. What you mm -hmm. want to bring is that right reaction, that balanced mm -hmm. approach to responding to them. And that's how you show yourself as a leader, to be honest with mm -hmm. you, right? 
um, I, I say to myself, you've got a lot of people out there trying to tell us how to be a leader. And if you're practicing and not studying it, you all of a sudden found yourself a leader after 20, 30 years, you're mm -hmm. leading something. And you ask yourself, what did I do to get me here? You can count up a lot of things, write a book or whatever it takes. But at the end of the day, I think it's emotional intelligence that got you there. Yeah. It was at one point you figured out how to balance your approach and your response, how to control your own emotions, yep. how to manage your empathy toward others and to manage your empathy toward yourself. <laughs> no, very true. Um, it, <laughs> there, is a, there is a beautiful quote. I can't remember now where it comes from. I have it on my wall. I'm going to read it because it's, it it uh, it resonates so what you said resonated so much with me. Um, I, th I think it's from um, oh that's it um, the name the name will come back. Um, so between stimulus and response there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response, and in our response lies our growth and freedom. Um, and the name will come back. It's from um, this gentleman who spent time in concentration camps and wrote um, this book. Uh, that's it. I, I have it probably behind me as well somewhere. So I should probably find it. But uh, anyway, I'll, I'll put it in the notes. Talking about, I'm, I'm trying to think of the name. I'm, I'm looking on my shelf as well to see if I can find it. Oh, very good. There it is. Man's Search for Meaning from... Uh, I've read it, yes. Viktor Frankl. Yes. Um, and for me, that quote is beautiful because as you said, it, it is about being able to say, well, what am I looking for at the end of the day? And what I'm looking for is the outcome. Um, and if I jump too quickly into the response, chances are I'm going to end up with the wrong outcome. Um, but if we if we stop ourselves to be and that's that emotional intelligence, if we stop ourselves and we're able to say, what what's really the outcome I'm expecting? And as you said, it's um, well, I don't want to. I have an ism coming my way. I don't want to blow it up because actually that's not going to help the other person. That's not going to help my emotions. So that's not the outcome I want. Now that I'm thinking about the outcome what's the right reaction that, that goes with that outcome that I want to achieve? Powerful book. Um, I remember when I read, read it, you think about how despite the circumstances, he had made a commitment that this would not define who he was. Mm -hmm. And even though everyone around him, not everyone, but many succumbed to being something different than what they were born to be, he decided it wasn't going to change his outlook on love, life, living, mm -hmm. you know, and freedom, and that they couldn't take those things. So it, very hard read. I remember it distinctly, but it was one of those. It is, it is a heavy one. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the inspiration of understanding that how you react to the situation you're in mm -hmm. is at all times under your control. And that the outcome that you want is the one that benefits, not the yep. one that detracts. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, we have so we have some amazing things um, in this episode, and, and thank you so much for sharing. <clears throat> I'd like to ask you um, another question because we you gave a lot of um, great tips and advice for people who might be the onlys on how they can 
manage themselves, their emotions, where they are, and so on. Um, but because because it's, this this podcast is also about creating actions, not only for people in those communities, but for advocates and allies. Um, so if if I was, for example, in in the room, uh, you mentioned about uh, about that boardroom where you were the only one, and everybody else were white males, um, and I'm there sitting in that room, um, and. I, I want as much as possible to be an ally and adv- an advocate. I don't always know if I'm doing the right thing. What, um, how would I say, what, uh, what advice would you give me for me to be more supportive of these onlys in the room? Yeah. Well, most importantly is to make sure the onlys' voices are heard, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Having your voice heard is the beginning of belonging. When you hear yourself speak and they nod their head and they're looking in your eyes and listening to you, you start to build, okay, I belong here, someone's hearing me. And you know how they talk about vulnerability and vulnerability can build comfort and trust. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you know, you're as vulnerable as they are. Yep. It's a vulnerable situation to sit there and be the only person. There's some that, because there's certain characteristics I can't hide. Right mm-hmm. when you walk in the door, you see that you're this is the only black woman and the only you know <coughs> Chinese American person in the room. So you see that they're the only. So vulnerability is the thing that you're going to give them that makes them have some comfort, and that says I too can be vulnerable because I don't have the same lifestyle or background or don't come from the same place they do. So sharing those vulnerabilities are important. There also is to understand their story. I think so often there was a story that said that in schools, teachers used to come back from summer vacation and say to the class, well, what did you do? Where did you go on your summer vacation? And it was so hard for some of the sometimes for a person of color who may not have been wealthy enough or have enough Mm -hmm. opportunity to go anywhere on summer vacation. So the question should have been, what did you do over your summer? Not where did you go? That took knowledge and that took took leaning in to learn that all the kids didn't go to summer vacation Mm -hmm. or go away. So get to know the owners, know their story. Because then when you're vulnerable, you can find those commonalities. Even if you can't find commonalities, you can at least empathize with that story. You mm-hmm. can hear it. And you can support the space for them to say it. It's important for them to be able to voice that and not the world, the, the room go, ooh, ah, it's out there. Just let it be. I think that's one of the most important things that people can do is don't assume that you know them, but get to know them. And, and, you know, it's okay to ask the questions. You want them to know that you're leaning in, that Mm -hmm. I'm curious about you. Remember, too, that their background is different. So the contribution that they're going to make is going to be possibly out of the box. Mm -hmm. Encourage that. You know, sometimes onlys don't talk because they came from a different background and you know, I remember one time I, I met someone who didn't know what a fire hydrant was. 
because they were raised in the country. Where I grew up, we had fire hydrants on every corner. But isn't that interesting? Something as simple as a fire hydrant. Don't assume that they have the same experience, but lean in and learn it. We tend to forget indeed. Yes. And, and it's okay not to know it, but to learn it, mm -hmm. to give them a space to share it and not be surprised at the background or the things they've been exposed to isn't the same as yours. But because they're different, they may have a different approach. So when that person who's never seen a fire hydrant goes, well, what about a tank? What about another way to put out the fire? Obviously somebody with a different background is what rented, invented like fire tanks, well, water tanks to put out fires. But that's the person who might've been afraid to speak up mm -hmm. because their background was different. Yes. Let them talk, let them contribute because therein lies might be the innovation you're seeking from this person who doesn't have the background that you have. And that's how you create a, not only an inclusive team, but also a team where creativity is, is being, um, what's the word? Um, like the, the fire is, is, is being lit up and the creativity and innovation is, is, uh, is being created. I think so many people, we, we've gone, we've done a lot of metrics, financial metrics about why inclusion is good. We've done some marketing metrics about why inclusion is good. There's also some personal metrics about why inclusion is good. Yep. Each of us, when we widen our circle and then we're in this com inclusive community, learn so much more than we did before. We learn about cultures. We learn about approaches, right? It, uh, how do I think about something differently? The perspectives. So... Mm -hmm. Don't, we don't need to boil everything down to how much money it's going to make for the company, but how much it's going to grow the team. And that team then becomes even more dynamic because they've got everybody's voice being included. Everybody's making a contribution and changing our approach to what we thought. We knew we did it the old way now. Now we're going to do it a new way because we've got all these new voices in the room. And, and, and it's very interesting you're, you're mentioning that because I think at the corporate level, we, we tend to forget that at the end of the day, it's not the company that is being inclusive. It's the individuals within that company that are going to become more diverse, more inclusive, creating that equity. Um, and for them to be able to do that, they need to be able to understand how it, it supports them as individuals and how it helps them to be able to move forward. Um, and, and I think that's, that's some of the work we're, we're doing here as well, trying to understand how you and I as individuals actually are benefiting from being more inclusive, being more diverse, being more open, more curious, and all, the, all these, uh, these, these great elements that we talked about during the last half an hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. So we're, we're coming to an end. Unfortunately, I mean, I would love to be with you for another couple of hours if I could. There's so much we could discuss. Um, but to finish up, what I wanted to ask you is, what's, what's your last kind of word of wisdom or sharing that you would want to, um, to put forward for our listeners? So 
So um, I've, after meeting you, I've added a new word to my lexicon, uh, resilience. I've thought about it so much since you and I had a conversation mm -hmm. and you, you dropped this phrase about building more resilience in who we are. And it wasn't until you said that I realized that I think that's the perfect word that sums up my entire career mm -hmm. about still standing, about still here, about still being willing and positive and wanting to be in the game. That resilience came and it came from who I am and the desire to not be the only and to make a difference. But that resilience is also what benefited me. Mm -hmm. I kept doing it. I kept meeting people. I kept getting more advice. I kept getting more support. I kept knowing more people and not quitting, not withdrawing from the game, but staying in it. I, I can't think of any more word that means so much more to me now than it did before is that resilience, that ability to say, despite being the only, you can still make a contribution. You can still make a difference. You can still bring, you know, innovation to the table, bring a new idea, be part of the team, belong to this community. All those positive things can happen mm -hmm. if you're resilient. Sooner or later, things will break, something will happen and you will be part. You will make a difference. It's resilience. I, I thank you for the word. <laughs> I mean, I know the word, but it's now part of just the lexicon of who I think I I, how I think I've survived. Thank you, thank you, Valerie. For that. Thank you. Um, and 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 I think it's interesting actually that we're finishing with this because for me the resilience and the inclusion are almost like a loop. Um, they they kind of feed each other. Yeah. Um, and to become more resilient, you need to become more inclusive. And by becoming more inclusive, you become more resilient. And it never stops, indeed. And yes. And I'm, 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 I'm very glad this is, this is becoming your words. It's an important thing to see. And, and you can hear it in, the, in, in some of the stories you shared also at the beginning. Um, you can hear that resilience. And, and of course, resilience comes with ups and downs. Of course. Um, they are very high level of resilience. And sometimes you're not in the highest points. But, but you... You, you can definitely hear it in your story. So thank you again very much for, for sharing this. Thank you for having me. Last question I want to ask you, if our listeners want to reach out to you, listen, well, talk to you more, ask you more questions, how can they do that? What's the best way to, to connect with you? Well, thanks for asking. You can contact me on my website, valariegilbert.com. It's V-A-L-A-R-I-E, gilbert.com. Um, I have the ability, you can reach me by email, which is on the website. So just reach out. I love to talk to people about new ventures that they're doing. Um, I'm still coaching and love to spend time with um, new folks in the industry. I'm still kind of focusing on people in the tech industry doing a lot with women in tech so um yeah that's the best way to reach me brilliant thank you very much for sharing that and we'll put it in the in the notes of the episode as well so people can have access easily 
thank you again for your time. Thanks a lot for all your thoughts and your ideas and, and your tips and tricks. And, and I hope we're going to have the chance to have you here again on maybe on another topic or on the continuity of this one in the near future. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity to join you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook or YouTube at as diverse as two peas in a pod. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.